0: Wow, that's a, a powerful statement that she ended with right there. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Hey, where is Emily at, our, our new sister in Christ? Emily, I just want to tell you, as I've been uh, talking with counselors and some students throughout the day, just debriefing, your boldness to stand last night encouraged more in this room to come to Christ for the first time. And I know you didn't know that would happen but, but I want you to see that God already, as you're a new believer, God is already using you to draw more to himself. So that just, I'm encouraged by your faith. And I just want to thank you again because it was a, a beautiful night and as the Lord was working last night. Well, hey, sad news for you here. Tonight is our last night together. It's, it's been a, a sweet Weekend, and I've been so encouraged again just, just watching you guys come to chapel and, and seeing how engaged you are, just so hungry to hear from the Lord and what He would have. Who can tell me my main point from last night? Yep. <laughs> That's the gospel right there. That's so good. Andrew, right? Yeah, so good. Uh, that's the gospel right there. And then what was my main point? Yeah. Saved by grace faith. That's right. We're saved by grace through faith. And that came from Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. And, and I told you what grace means. It's when God gives us unmerited favor. When God gives us something that we don't deserve. And, and we, sinners who deserve to die, find life. In Jesus. It was it was a beautiful, beautiful night last night. And as we've been just looking throughout the book of Daniel and really specifically looking at King Nebuchadnezzar and his wickedness, and then last night his his repentance, now we, as we've heard the gospel, as we've learned that we can be children of God in Jesus, now we're gonna look at the book of Daniel through the lens of God's people. And, and the one thing that I want you to walk away with tonight, if anything, is for you to know how we, as followers of Jesus, can live resiliently for him in an increasingly hostile culture. When I say the word resilient, we're going to have the definition up here on the screen. Someone who is resilient has the capacity to withstand or to recover quickly from difficulties. In other words, it's toughness. If you think of marathon runners in the Olympics, running at whatever insane pace they run, four to five minute pace, they have resilience to to keep that pace throughout the entire race and to finish strong. So how can we as God's people live resiliently for Jesus even in a a hostile culture? And when when a culture is hostile to your faith, it means that the culture is, is opposed that the culture is, is, does not treat your faith well. And, and Babylon was a hostile culture to God's people. And what we're seeing as we see time go on for, for our country, America, and for the Western culture in general, we're seeing more and more hostility come. The culture, the general culture, is becoming more and more unfriendly or directly opposed to our faith. And here's... Here's somewhere where I'm pulling this from. The New York Times posted an article in in 2021. And and what this article did was it looked at surveys that have been going on for about 40 years. And and this showed us that America is becoming more and more secular as the years go on. And, And a culture that is secular means that it doesn't want to have religious or spiritual affiliation. And this, this article showed us this, because in 1988, there's a survey that went out to all Americans, and it was found that 70% of people said that they know God exists, and they don't have doubts about that. And then when the next generation came, 63% of people, they said that they know God exists, and they don't have doubts about that. Now, fast forward to 2018 when this survey was conducted in my generation, the the millennials. 44% of my peers would say that we know God exists and we don't have doubts about that. And the verdict's still out for what is Generation Z and then the the generation after you. What is Generation Alpha going to say? But if you can see, our culture's on a downhill trend and we're denying the existence of God as, as time goes on. And if you can remember the gospel last night, it started with Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. And it says that, that God is evident through creation. That's just the first aspect of the gospel that our culture is denying, saying that God isn't real. But Romans 1 tells us that the creation screams evidence of a creator, of a designer. So six out of 10 of my peers would say that they don't believe that God exists. And what they most likely believe, and I have many friends who believe this, is that all things started with nothing. It's the Big Bang Theory, that billions of years ago, elements combined together and, and created this massive explosion. And then atoms formed, and, and over billions and billions of years, everything evolved into to what we have today including the breath in our lungs and and our hearts beating. I told you the miracle of watching my daughter form in the womb of my wife. And somehow our culture says all of this happened by chance. That's heartbreaking to me. Because they have faith in, in nothing. That something came from nothing. That just doesn't make sense. Everything came from someone. Our creation screams evidence of a creator. But our culture is denying point one of the gospel and just acknowledging that God exists and God is real. So the reason I want to bring this article to you is for you to see our culture is becoming more and more hostile to our faith. And most likely, if, if we continue to go on this downhill trend, I do believe that, that there might be mockery in schools for your faith maybe even coming from your teachers. I do believe that if we continue in this direction, there's there's going to be laws passed in the future that aren't favorable towards churches or towards organizations like Hume. So in the midst of all this, I want you to ask yourself, how can I go back home and live resiliently for Jesus, no matter what other people say or what other people think of me? But let me show you too that America isn't the only nation here in this world. And our culture isn't the first country to become more and more secular or or to be hostile towards followers of Jesus. And last September, almost a year ago, my wife and I were in tears as we watched four of our best friends move from central Virginia to North Africa for the sake of that country hearing that there is a God and he's made himself known through Jesus. Jesus. They, they move to this hostile culture for the sake of, of Jesus being proclaimed. And in the country that they're living in, one out of 10,000 people follow Jesus. They're an extreme minority there. And in fact, this culture, it's a, it's a Muslim country. So when they hear that my friends are followers of Jesus, they start to, to attack them with apologetics. And they say, you know that the Bible is corrupt, right? Or, or do you really believe that Jesus rose from the grave? Every time they tell someone that they're a followers of Jesus. And I've asked my friends, what keeps you resilient in the midst of so much hostility and pressure on your faith? And it's so sweet seeing how God's truth just always ties together perfectly. Because it was, it was point number two from one of my first nights. It's they stand firm for Jesus by simply knowing who God is and who they are in him. They say, our identity is in Jesus. Yeah, we're, we're going to experience hostility from these people, but that doesn't matter. We, we have our worth in who he is, not in what we do. And guys, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, a lot like my friends who moved to North Africa. Even though they didn't choose to, they were ripped out of their home in Jerusalem. God's chosen nation. They were taken to Babylon, and through these teenagers living resiliently for God throughout their entire lives, the mightiest man on the planet was introduced to God Almighty. Many of the wise men in Babylon, I would say thousands heard of who God truly is by them going to this pagan land. So how can we, just like them, live resilient in our faith? Because we saw throughout the book of Daniel that death was at their doorstep several times, but they were willing to die because of their faith in Jesus and who they worshiped. And I've, I've been begging God that he would make himself known to you this week. I've also been begging God to do a mighty work in your generation, where we would see more go to these nations that are 99 plus percent denying Jesus, but also that the Lord would call some of you into ministry to now go and plant churches in New England, because I've talked to some of your pastors, and I've heard of of how desperate this area of our country is for solid Bible-preaching churches, and guys, the gospel doesn't just stop with Jesus saving us. That's just the start of the good news. Now we get to walk in relationship with him. And now we get to tell other people about him. I want you to dream and pray big for what God could do in and through you. So what I'm gonna do is, is I'm just gonna look through the first six chapters, and now with the lens of, of God's people. And you can turn to the book of Daniel if you'd like. I'm gonna do a quick overview, and then we're gonna. My main passage is gonna be from the book of Acts, but I want us to first remember the stories that we've read and, and what we've studied and how these teenagers who'd become old men in this pagan nation, how they lived resiliently. While you're turning there, I'm gonna get some more water. Okay, so let me remind you of chapter one right? They're they're ripped out of their home. They're they're taken to Babylon. And then Daniel, this teenager, the king literally gives him the food that the king is eating and the wine that he's drinking. But Daniel has this conviction that I'm not going to eat that food. And he risks his life. And he risks life of others for the sake of following the conviction that God gave him. And then in chapter two, we see Daniel continue to hold this resiliency, where King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream and he demanded that his wise men tell the interpretation, but nobody could. And Ariok comes to kill Daniel, but Daniel's like, hang on, what's going on? And Daniel boldly says, schedule me an appointment with the king. And we're like, surely Daniel knows the interpretation. But then he runs back to his buddies and together they pray and they beg God to reveal this dream to Daniel and and God spares their life. And how does Daniel respond, if you remember from chapter 2? Daniel doesn't say, I made the right choice here. Daniel's so quick to just give God all the glory and and all the praise. And then in chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar builds this 90-foot golden image, tells everyone to bow down to it. and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. In the midst of thousands of people bowing down to this false god, they refuse to and they risk their life, and they're pretty sure they're going to die, and they stand before the mightiest man on the planet and say, our God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we'll never bow down. They live resiliently in the midst of extreme hostility. They, remember, stand together in truth. And then yesterday, last night, we we went through Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar has a second dream, and it's the dream of the tree. And I love to see that Daniel, he knows that this message is heavy, that this message is is hard to say. But he doesn't shy away from the truth because God gave him this message to say to Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel cares far more of what the Lord thinks than than what Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar thinks. And and he doesn't shy away from it. And I know we didn't go over this, but Daniel chapter 5, I'd encourage you, just in your own time, to continue reading through this and see what God does. So now there's another king. Nebuchadnezzar's off the throne, and there's Belshazzar. Belshazzar, that sounded weird when I said it. So Belshazzar is is on the throne. And again, God gives Daniel a hard message to deliver to this king, but he continues to stand firm and and to only care about what the Lord thinks. And then Daniel chapter 6 comes, and this is a story that a lot of us know when we think of the book of Daniel. But do any of you know how old Daniel was when he was thrown into the lion's den? Fifteen? Keep going. A lot more. Decades more. Forty-one times two. Daniel was 80 by the time he was thrown into the lion's den. And there's several kings who have who've walked through the throne. And now the king, Darius, who's, who's reigning, is actually from a different nation but we see Daniel in his teenage years and then Daniel in his elderly years continue to say, God, you're worth it no matter what happens. And in chapter six, he refuses to stop praying because his relationship with the Lord is far more important than than even his own life. And then here we are today, about 2,500 years later, and, and now Jesus has, has made himself known to us. And, and now we are God's people. And how can we live resiliently? Well, I told you how we can be made right with God last night. And, and we ended with the resurrection. Remember, Jesus died on the cross. And he wasn't just as good as dead. Jesus was dead for three days. And then he rose from the grave. And sometimes at Hume, I've heard preachers stop there. Because I want you to go home and I want you to know that the gospel doesn't stop at the resurrection. And we actually get to learn so much more about Jesus through his word. So now let's go to our main text tonight, Acts chapter 1. So Acts is in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. This is the first book after the gospel accounts. And the gospels are the, are the narrative accounts of everything that Jesus said and everything that he did. And now we have the book of Acts. And we see that Jesus has ascended, and the question for us is how can we continue to live for Jesus when he's not on earth? So Acts chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 3. He, Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So let's just pause there. Jesus had hundreds of eyewitnesses accounts after he rose from the grave. It says he presented himself to them after his suffering. And he was on earth for 40 days after he rose from the grave. Before we continue in Acts, one of my favorite stories, it's in the book of John, and it's it's Thomas. And in the church today, we know Thomas as Thomas the Doubter. And it's because of this story that Jesus rose from the grave He appeared to Mary Magdalene, and then he appeared to other disciples. And Thomas wasn't there when Jesus first appeared to the disciples. And Thomas actually doesn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And Thomas says, unless I see the holes in his hands, unless I touch the scar in his side, I won't believe that he rose from the dead. And then several days pass, and Thomas is just sitting in that doubt. And I think we can learn so much from the story of Thomas that we can bring our doubts to God, because look how Jesus responds to Thomas, and it's in the book of John, where Jesus appears to Thomas, and he says, touch the holes in my hand, touch the scar in my side, and how does Thomas respond? He looks to Jesus, and it's the highest declaration of praise that we see in the New Testament, because he looks to Jesus, and he says, my Lord and my God, And Thomas declares that Jesus is Lord, but not just that, that Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is God Almighty. So Jesus, what we learn from verse 3, presented himself alive to his followers. And then Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God God that we get to not just hear what Jesus has done for us, but now where he is right now. And Joey, you can throw the four main points up there on the screen. Because here's the main points that we have tonight, and it all comes from Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. And I'm going to start with that first one there that Jesus resurrected from the grave. Jesus walked 40 days on earth, and then he ascended. And can you imagine just being there that day where you see resurrected Jesus? And then he says that all the ends of the earth will hear of him through, through you. And then he just starts levitating. And this isn't some magic trick. He starts levitating, and you're, you're looking up at him going to sky, and then you can't see him anymore. And then there's angels right there before you. And they're like, what are you doing? He's coming back. So Jesus ascended. And I've told you several times from this stage that Jesus ascended. In Ephesians chapter 1, we learn that where he ascended, he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. And, and for those of you who are like me, for those of you who are like Emily, who now have your faith in Jesus... You're not gonna live perfectly, but when I sin, now Jesus looks to the Father and says, I paid those wages. Tyler can come freely because I paid for that. He's interceding for us. Point number two, the Holy Spirit will come upon them, it says. In verse eight, Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what does that mean? Again, from Ephesians one, when it's talking about the Holy Spirit coming inside of us. This is God himself, God himself dwelling in us. Ephesians 1 says that when we believed in the gospel, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And that's where I get that that main point too from Ephesians 1, that we're sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. And I love that we can study God's word with God's word because where else do we see someone or something sealed You don't have to turn there, but it's actually in Daniel chapter 6. And this is where King Darius now has to throw Daniel into the lion's den because Daniel prayed. And this is 80-year-old Daniel thrown into the lion's den because he prayed to God Almighty. And it says that they sealed the lion's den. And and King Darius, he had a, a signet ring, and they would put wax on the stone, and he would put literally his signature on the stone, and it says that he sealed the den of the lions. And what that means is that when anyone would walk by that den, they would see the king's seal and they would know this is the king's. Nobody can touch this. And guys, Ephesians 1 says that we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So that means we are the king's. Nobody can touch us. Romans chapter 8 says that nothing. Nothing, no one can separate us from the love of God. Once you are in Christ, that is sure. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. You are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Point number three. This is a profound reality to me because the end of verse eight of Acts chapter one, he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So for some reason, God in his mysterious ways sees fit to work through people like me, who I'm so broken, I'm so messed up. And some reason, God Almighty chooses to redeem people, to draw people to himself through people like me. And I want you to see from Acts chapter one that God works through his people to save other people. And you guys are going back into your cities. And you've experienced God in mighty ways here at camp but I want you to know something because there's something called a camp high and that's where you come and it's really emotional and it's really fun and you hear the word preached and you're in here worshiping every single day and it's a high emotional and spiritual experience. And then you go back home and things don't feel quite the same. But the same God who is here at Hume New England is, is the same God who's back at home when you get there. The same God who did a mighty work in the book of Daniel is the same God that we get to experience and worship today. And the way that this God saves people is through you, is through his followers being witnesses. I was talking to Dan, and, and he was telling me that, that some of you are going into your city, are going into your schools, and are telling your friends, your peers about Jesus, and are inviting your friends and your peers to youth group. And and you're way ahead of where I was in high school. That's so encouraging for me to hear. And that's my prayer, is that now as you go into these cities, as you go into this desperate region of America, of New England, that you would see that God is going to reach people through you telling people about him. But it's not in your power. That's what's wonderful. It's in the strength of the Holy Spirit. And then point number four, Jesus is coming back. The angel's like what are you doing looking up there he will return and and I just have to think that the disciples thought of the book of Daniel when the angel said that and why do I say that because in Daniel chapter 7 we see a prophecy does anyone know what a prophecy is yeah Andrew Yeah, that's right. It's God telling someone what will happen in the future. So God gives Daniel a prophecy through a vision, and it's actually of, of the return of Jesus. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, Daniel's writing, and he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days, and he was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So this is crazy because 600 years before Jesus is on earth, God gives Daniel this vision of that Jesus will return the same way that he ascended, and guys, Jesus is going to come back with the trumpet sound and the skies will open up and he will descend on clouds, just like he, he ascended. And you will either be God's child or you will either be God's enemy. And I want us to be prepared for that day because for me, as a follower of Jesus, I long for that day. I can't wait for him to come back and for him to restore all things. Well, you may be wondering, I wonder if, if he's gonna mention that hymn again. And I couldn't not as I'm talking about Jesus coming back because the last verse of it is well with my soul talks about Jesus coming back. And again, Horatio is sitting over the grave of his daughters. And the verse before this is what we sang last night where he's just pondering the cross and amazed that not just some of his sin, but all of his sin was taken. And now here's the next verse. And I'm going to sing it, but I don't want to sing it alone today. And I ask that you sing it with me. And Lord, haste the day when my face shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound. And the Lord shall descend even so it is well with my soul. Horatio's sitting there over over the grave of his daughters, pondering the cross and now pondering the return of Christ. And what do these words mean? He's saying, Jesus, come back quickly What I believe now, I will see someday. The sky is going to open up. The trumpet will play and Jesus will come down. My soul is well. This was written in the late 1800s and and we still today can expect and long for Jesus to return. But we can be as faithful as we possibly can until he does come back because God saves people through you and the power of his spirit. So how can we live with resilience? Just like my friends in North Africa. Just like Daniel, Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah. We need to know God. Again, I love that you get to come and and come to chapel twice a day and hear God's word preached and you get to open God's word. But it's my prayer that you're not dependent on a preacher to know God. I want you to, to be able to open the Bible yourself. And here's what's so beautiful as you're going back into your cities, you're going back with churches, you're going back with your youth group. God has given you community to continue to stand against the tide of the secular culture. And you can ask your youth pastor, you can ask your peers, you can ask your counselor, how can I read God's word? They would love to answer that for you. And maybe start in the book of John and, and just commit to half a chapter a day. It doesn't have to be anything insane. But how would you get to know me? Well, well, you would spend time with me. You'd get to hear my story, my, my passions, what I love. And God has made himself known through his word, and you need to spend time with him. And another aspect of spending time with him is by praying to him. Yesterday, before I came up, Brandon walked up to me, and, and he opened Hebrews 6. And I'll never forget this moment. And he just prayed over me, and, and he read from Hebrews 6. And what Hebrews 6 talks about and I didn't talk about this last night, but when the Jews came to God, only once a year the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies. This was the most sacred place in the temple. Once a year the high priest could come, and this is where God's presence was. This is where the sins of Israel were forgiven, but when Jesus died on the cross, the temple where you in, or the curtain where you entered the Holy of Holies tore in two. And what that shows us, what the Bible is showing us, is that when Jesus died on the cross, we don't have to go through a priest to intercede with with the Father. We can go directly to God by ourselves. You don't need a pastor to talk to God. You can go directly to God by yourself. Guys, you you won't live perfectly. You, You will mess up. But again, Jesus sees now your sin and says, I paid for that. So the same God that did a mighty work in Daniel's life, the same God that is right here doing a mighty work in your life is back home. Let's pray. What gift of grace is Jesus, our redeemer? God, you are so good that you've revealed yourself to us. You didn't have to do that. When Adam and Eve chose to sin and chose to deny you, you could have just blotted out humanity right there. But in your mercy, you've allowed us to continue and you've allowed us to now hear your truth and get to know you. Oh, what a beautiful relationship with you, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Lord, I just pray over these students as they go back into various states and cities in New England. I pray that you would draw more people to yourself through the boldness of their faith. Lord, I pray for a a sound theology that when they do fail, when they do mess up, they're so quick to run back to you and just to confess to you how, how much we fail, but how you did not fail on the cross. So thank you for what you've done this week, Lord. Would you continue to move in mighty ways as the other 51 weeks continue this year? In Jesus' name, amen.